Guys, our next guest is undoubtedly one of the best analysts in the sport. His channel for Reptile features some of the most well-thought-out fight breakdowns and previews with an astounding attention to detail. Now with a new show on BT Sport, the Dan Hardy Breakdown Show, and his first episode out now. He joins us here to talk UFC 260, the former UFC title challenger himself, Dan Hardy. Good evening. Welcome to Submission Radio. Always good to be here, guys. Good to speak to you. The pleasure is all ours, as, as always, Dan. Um, man, right off the bat, first of all, congratulations on the new show on BT Sport. Um, I have to say, though, we really miss seeing you on Inside the Octagon. Before we talk UFC 260, we have to address the somewhat elephant in the room and, and get your side of the story. What, what happened between yourself and the UFC? Can you shed any light on anything, Dan? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think uh, I think the Herb Dean situation didn't didn't work in my favour. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd signed a new contract and worked a few events since then, but um, I, I still think that was in the back of their mind. And then the the, the incident in Fight Island was was a um, it was a disagreement between myself and, a, and another employee of the UFC, who um, I, I just feel was, you know. We, we, <laughs> The, the, the person was being obstructive, you know, in, in helping me do my job, I felt. And I, I asked the person why, and I felt like I was told a falsehood, which I called them out on. Um, and I, that that's my side of it. I, I don't know. I don't know what I mean. You know, as a statement, I wasn't I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't insulting towards her. I wasn't threatening in any way. Like, I'm just not that's just not who I am. I was forthright and I was to the point and I asked a question about why opportunities weren't getting through to me when you know they previously had done for the past few years it just felt like a bit of a deterioration of a relationship and i didn't understand why um obviously there was frustration attached to that because my job is to promote the sport and build the sport as much as i can and you know these were media opportunities that i felt would be beneficial for especially for my region for the uk um so you know, the, the, obviously there was there was a little frustration there, but it, it that, that was it. It was it was purely a disagreement. I, I think I think the aftermath of it is much more about you know my my calling the person out on on not not speaking the truth uh, to me um, and the people present, you know, colleagues of ours. So I mean, it's it's just an awkward situation and it, it's frustrating because you know I, you know I find myself outside of the UFC now, but at the same time, I. I don't know. The, the last few weeks, I've just felt so much lighter and uh, and and freer. You know, I mean, I, I can just cover combat sports now. And and there was a kind of a bit a weird lag between you know having the call with the UFC where you know they decided we were going to part ways and the news breaking and you know and and the way it was broken was was rather hurtful. And I, I don't know how or why or whether it was intentional or you know coincidental for for clickbait or whatever, but. You know the way that it was worded just insinuated so much more than it actually was, you know. And and I, I had colleagues there, you know, people that I work with that I'm still working with now, um, that that were there that were witness to it. And I don't know, it's it's just a very frustrating situation. And obviously, with the fact that I'm not an employee of the UFC and I'm I'm a contractor to the UFC, you know, I, I, it's very difficult for me to find out any more information. I've not spoken to Dana or anybody else. As far as I understand, I'm still under contract as a fighter. Um, but that's obviously something I'd need to figure out because I, I would like to fight and uh, I would imagine other options would land on the table. Um, but the, the weird lag, there was like a couple of weeks between my, you know, parting with the UFC and then the news coming out. Um, and that was a bit of a weird kind of 
waiting period because I didn't know how, exactly how it was going to be received. Um, but the support has been incredible. You know, the, the, like the, the community, the MMA uh, community has just been amazing. They've rallied around. They've, I've had just amazing support across the board. You know, BT Sport have, have obviously, you know, heard the comments and heard the fans and, that's why I've got my own my own show now. I mean, you know, the focus for me is is helping people understand MMA. You know, I, I could sit on this red sofa all day, every day, and talk about yeah. fights. I've been talking about them for six hours today already. It's you know, I I, I love it. It's what I do. Um, but it, it's just a weird and awkward situation, and I don't really have any any other answers. I understand what my side of it was. You know, it was a disagreement about an opportunity that should have come to me that never made it to me, and a whole bunch of other people knew about it apart from me, and I didn't know why so when I asked the person I, I didn't get the truth and that was that was frustrating um and and you know like I said I think I think a big part of it was the embarrassment and I you know it could have been dealt with better on my part absolutely you know I could have had the conversation in a, in a different a different place you know without without there being the other people there but you see I, I'm I'm I don't I don't I don't work I'm not a corporate individual you know I'm a fighter that put on a shirt and tie and, and did a did a, a you know I did a grown-ups job. Um, I'm still a kid, and I, and I don't play these corporate games where you know people are watching out for their jobs and oh, you know, I, I just it's just not me. And I talk to everybody the same. I talk. I, I'm just I'm to the point. You know, that's how I am. Um, that's why I get on so well with Mark Goddard. He's exactly the same, even more so. Um, but it's you know, it's just how I am, and I and I don't I don't separate between well these people are these kind of colleagues and these kind of colleagues and friends and. It's just, you know, I talk to people as, you know, everybody's the same. Um, and, you know, sometimes that can be a little uncomfortable, I guess. Mm. I think one of the things that's uh, upset fans about it was, and you mentioned it, the relationship that you've had with the UFC, the fact that you've been there for so long, and then this whole thing kind of happens the way that it does. And one of the things people really respect about you, Dan, and I know me and Casper do as well, is the fact that you're an honest guy and you bring an honesty to the broadcast that not many people can. So I'm just wondering, I know you mentioned that you'd love to get some answers from the UFC you just mentioned before, get some clarity on what's going on. If you could speak to Dana White, what, what is the sort of main thing you'd love to find out from him? And is there still space there for reconciliation between you, the UFC, and Dana White? Or is it at a spot now where you're even sort of thinking about if it's the right place for you to fight, right place for you to stick around as a fighter? Um, I'm just wondering where you're at with that. You know, I... I, I, I love the UFC. You know, I, I always will. I'll be a, I'll always be a huge fan of the UFC, and it's been a, a big part of my career and a big part of my life. And you know, I owe a lot to this place that I'm in right now, sitting talking to you guys. Um, and I, I'm I'm forever thankful for that. And I I've, I I have nothing against the UFC or, or or Dana or anything like that. Of course, you know, if they call me up and they're like, hey, you know, parachute in on a Union Jack flag for two sixty one, I'll I'll be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, I just—it's just a weird place because I, I just kind of—I I, kind of don't know exactly what's happened, and my concern is that Dana's got a perspective of this of the situation that's not true, and that—that's what concerns me more than anything. Like I, I could not sit Octagon side ever again, as long as Dana doesn't have this this misconception of who I am, because that would really frustrate me, and and it's like, I mean, it's like the Herb Dean thing. Like, you know, we discussed it. Like, but but I think his perspective is still that, like, I got out from my seat, took my headset off, went over, and I was waiting at the octagon door for Herb to come out. Like, I still hear that come up on social media from time to time. It's like, 
and then then this like this, then this this troll account that started up that's you know that's you know pretending to be Herb Dean's wife. I, I didn't even know he was married. I've never met his wife. Like like it just it's just fed into this weird kind of like misinformation. I mean, it's the times that we're living in it. Mm. I mean, it's, the, it's the, the the generation of fake news, and 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 that's the that's the problem. Is like when it, when it was when Dana was asked about it at the at the press conference, he wasn't clear about the information that he had. And I still very much feel like Dana feels like I approached Herb, which which I didn't. You know, I mean, if you look look at the photo, I've probably said this a million times. Like, there's a monitor in front of me. It says Dell on the back. That's my monitor for the for the fights. And if you look at the photo, it's Herb's arm that is over my monitor. <laughs> I'm standing I'm standing at my desk ready to turn around because we're doing separated interviews. Trinaldo's already made his way out of the octagon. So he's basically, I'm, I've got to turn around and face the camera that's behind me. But, but in the process of me standing up and taking my, my headset off to turn around and face the camera, I noticed that Herb is already on his way over to my desk from the octagon. And I know he said that he didn't know who it was, but that's not that's nonsense. Because if you watch the end of the fight, you'll see it turns and he points at me through the cage. Like he knew it was me that shouted it. Not in not in the history of the UFC as a fight ever being stopped by the commission yelling stop the fight. And so I'm the stop the fight guy. I don't know whether I can swear on your show, but fuck it, I don't care mm. because I'm speaking out for something that's important. And it's like this like this weird misinformation that's happened about it. Whereas like I'm like there like picking a fight for some kind of personal benefit is just fucking nonsense. Like what a stupid thing to say. It, it, like I don't know. I didn't know. I don't really know Jai Herbert. I know him as well as I know Trinaldo. It doesn't matter if the situation was reversed. It'd be the same situation. And and, I, and I, it's not about Herb. But like generally, like we have mistakes made consistently in the sport. And and it's one thing if it's a you know it's a no contest contest instead of a DQ. Like we're talking about maybe 30 grand difference in Darren, Darren Stewart's pocket. But the reality is, it's a mistake. Like that wasn't a no contest, it was a disqualification. Like bullshit about baiting, baiting a knee to the head. So it's still an illegal shot. It's still an illegal knee to the head. And not in any jurisdiction aside from pride rules. Is, is that okay? Like it's just like there's this weird like, I don't know. I mean, you can see now I can speak and so I can say exactly what I like. Mm. I don't get it. Like, he's working the majority of the events in Vegas. He's considered the gold standard of the sport, but he makes a mistake almost on a weekly basis at this point. Like, so who's going to call him out on it? I'll do it. I don't care. And, like, you know, I, and I was at Cage Warriors at the trilogy at the weekend. And he probably won't want me to tell you this, but I'll tell you this. There was a fight which Mark Goddard was refereeing, and in my opinion, there are three or four referees in the sport that hold the 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 officiating job to such a high standard, and Mark Goddard is one of them. And he walked out the cage and sat down, and it it took him a while to get over the fight because he felt the fight took one extra punch. Mm. Like, where is that responsibility? You know, I'll be the stopping fight guy. I don't. Well, I was gonna say, I think um, you know now the we're in a we're in a time where everything gets memed, so it's understandable that you know something like this happens. But I think you've gotten the short end of the stick in the sense that you know we've all seen compilations of Dana White being asked about you know referee mistakes and things happening, and the answer is always kind of like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, we got, we got to do something about these guys. 
and um, nothing's really been done. And then you stand up and you say something, which is essentially just words, and it's coming from a place of you're looking at fighter safety. It's not like you hit Herb Dean. You know, you just said stop the fight. Uh, which you know doesn't really doesn't really affect anybody negatively. So I think it's unfair that you've gotten so much negativity, uh, you know, because of that. Especially considering that you're trying to look out for the fighters, and like you said, you're trying to be that guy who you know makes a change for the positive. And especially the thing that's ri- the, the thing that's ridiculous to me is that the, I don't know many people out there that like knockouts as much as I do. Like I, I literally, I mean, and I've just done the breakdown as you, as you said for the uh, the new BT show. I, I literally I watched their both of Ngannou and Stipe's entire careers in a day, and I love it. Like I, I'm all about people getting knocked out. I love martial arts; it's what I do. Mm. But it's the point when they've been knocked out and they don't need to take any more. That's the point when we when we have to go. Okay, now the sport's ended. Now it's about protection of the fighter, and and that's not only protection of the fighter; it's protection of the sport and of the industry and of of everything that I love and that you guys love. Because as soon as something happens that's, that's tragic or permanent, then, then we're, we're all carrying it. It's on all of our hands. And, and if I didn't say anything and I was sitting up inside when that happened, I'd, be, I'd, I'd hate myself, mm. you know? And it's like, you know, I mean, like we saw it the other, we saw it the other week. I, I was Octagon side for the, the first ABC card with Calvin Cater, Max Holloway. I wouldn't have minded that fight being stopped between the fourth and fifth round. I don't mind fighters when the stakes are high going out on their shield. I don't mind it when the stakes are high. But there is a point when you see nothing come back. And you saw it yourself. I mean, the video with, with, with Dana speaking to Hunter Campbell, and he, he said, like, you know, we need to get into a hospital straight away. Like, Dana's identifying that there's a, there's a serious danger to the man's health there. And that's, that's something that we have to be conscious of. It, it made me proud and 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 glad to hear Dana say that, because it is important. You know, we want to see Calvin Cates come back and have another attempt. Holloway was just too much for him on that night, you know. And and like maybe it is being recognised, but but there's definitely a gap in the officiating's training where they 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 they're given the necessary tools and the understanding to recognise an unconscious fighter and the different states that they go through. I mean, I, I didn't know what fencing response was until I started researching after the, the Stop the Fight incident. And, I, you know, I put out a, a what, 90-minute show about what happened, which fortunately got a quarter of a million views before it was miraculously taken down off my YouTube channel. Mm. Explain that shit to me. I've got no idea, but it is what it is. And I think what people don't understand as well is um, you have a perspective as a fighter and you see with the damage that these extra shots can do to somebody, how it could change their life forever, how it's something that can't be treated and how it's a very, very, very dangerous thing. So I think a lot of fans really respected you for being able to go out there and, you know, when there was a mistake made, actually make people accountable for it, which is the only real reasonable step in moving forward and moving things along. Just last one on from me down on this one, and we'll go to UFC 260. I know you've always been speaking about coming back and fighting, and fans have always been sort of wondering, what is the holdup? Like, why isn't the UFC giving this guy fight opportunities? Why isn't the UFC giving this guy names? You know, you're even going as far as to go on Twitter and call people out, and these great fights that people really want to see, and everyone gets excited, and then they just don't get back to. Um, is there something we're we missing here? Is the UFC just not willing to offer you the fights that you want? Are they just 
not as excited about you making a return like all the fans out there. What are we missing here? Why isn't the UFC knocking your door down, especially right now when there's 3,000 cards and the need for exciting fights that fans can really be in, invested in? Well, I mean, I, I think from the UFC's perspective, I'm not cleared to fight. But the, also, the other problem is that I can't really get in contact with anybody at the UFC. I, I, it's just, I don't know whether the current situation, the solution is just to kind of, just to kind of fire blanket everything because I'm, I'm hearing nothing from anybody. Um, but I, I think from their perspective, I'm not cleared to fight, which was, which was how we left it a few years ago. But I mean, I have the paperwork in the drawer in the other room and I've got it sitting in my email account from that I went through all the same tests that I had to get done, uh, uh, previously when, when they wouldn't clear me. And I have a, I've got a, you know, a sports cardiology specialist that's, that's written me off and, and cleared me and said he will, he, you know, he will speak up for me, you know, in any jurisdiction I fight in. But the reality is, I mean, there are, I think, two states in the U.S. where I wouldn't be cleared to fight anyway. I could walk in there now and get tested. It's it's the EKG that was the the issue, the ECG. But that's been sorted out now. I've got I've got clearance. I've done the tests. I mean, I needed to do do them for my own, you know, peace of mind. So I, I've gone through the tests. I'm, I'm training. I'm healthy. Um, I don't know. I I think maybe I think maybe time. Maybe time will pass and those conversations may open back up. Um, but I, first of all, I need to figure out where my contract's at. You know, if I am still contracted to the UFC, um, you know, then that's that's the first that's the first port of call. But if I'm not, then you know, off, offers will land on the table. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure they will, especially with you building up your brand through uh, Full Reptile, doing you know am these amazing breakdowns with just show mm -hmm. you know your dedication to the sport. So it, it it annoys me to not see you on Inside the Octagon, but at least we still get to see the Dan Hardy goodness uh, on Full Reptile and on on BT Sport, your new show, the Dan Hardy Breakdown Show. So, with that being said. Uh, let's talk UFC 260. And by the way, appreciate your candor, Dan. Really, really do appreciate it. Um, Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou too, man. Arguably the most looked forward to heavyweight title fight in years. And when you look at Ngannou, his last four fights have lasted just 162 seconds in total with Francis knocking out, you know, everybody in the first round. When you look at Francis, and I know you've studied a lot of tape on him, what do you see as the biggest differences since that first Stipe fight? You know, I, I think I think he's a more patient striker, and, and unfortunately, I wish that I wish that the Rosenstroke fight wasn't his last, wasn't his last outing because that kind of that kind of undoes everything I'm saying right now. Do you, you know, do you, you think it was just a stylistic the, uh, thing though? I, I agree. I see what you're saying. Do you think it's just because Rosenstrike wasn't going to take him down? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. Yeah, I, I think you know, in MMA, well, in striking arts, when you get back to against the fence, you've got you've got two options. You're going to peel off left or right. In MMA, there's always the option of the level change. But because because he knows that Rosen strikes predominantly a striker, and also he's a good counter striker, so he does try and hit you as he's, as you're moving towards him. You know, you think the uh, the Arlovsky fight, he clipped him on the way in. Like, if you're in Ghana, you think to yourself, well, I can move forward quicker than he can move back. And I know that his counter strikes aren't going to be nearly as powerful as the rockets that I'm throwing. So I, I, I think he rolled the dice, you know, I, I, and I don't think I, I don't think he had res enough respect for Rosenstrike's power and certainly didn't expect him to level change. Um, he knows he can't do that against Stipe. That's the reality. And that's why it changes it entirely. And the big question is, 
I mean, remember the Derek Lewis fight. We we wish we could. We wish we didn't remember it, but we do. Like he threw eleven strikes in that fight in in forty in you know fifteen minutes, and in the in the forty five second fight he had next in the rematch with Blades, he landed thirteen. Like he's a fast worker, and that that Lewis fight was very uncharacteristic. But part of the reason for that is was that fear of that being so damn tired that you just can't get up, you can't move, and and I I wonder whether that's still associated with Stipe's face. Like, does he stand at the face off mm. on? Uh, you know, right before the first round starts and all of a sudden he regresses back to the fifth round where he could barely breathe and couldn't move his arms. That's the question because everybody else, he's just blasted out of the water and he's not really had much concern for what they've got to offer. Stipe's proven what he's got to offer and he's proven that it can cause Ngano a lot of discomfort. And I don't think he's, he's necessarily worried about Stipe hurting him. But that pain from fatigue is something he would never want to feel again. It's interesting with Stipe. Um, he's been out for a little bit, but this is a guy that's coming back after beating Daniel Cormier twice. And also uh, with the knowledge that he's already beat Francis Naganu here, is there a chance that Stipe walks in here with even more confidence than he had when he first fought Francis Naganu, Or is it a situation where Stipe is realistic with himself and realizes that, hey, no matter what, this is going to be a tough night at the office. I really got to cross my T's and dot my I's here. I still think I think he'll be very respectful of of you know what Ngannou brings to the table. Um, I, I think no matter how Stipe gets it done, it's going to be hard work. You know, it's very 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 unlikely that he's going to hurt him in the first round and stop him, or take him down and sub him in the first round. I mean, it's just. Like he's just such a he's just such a physical power that to do that, and even to really hurt him with a good shot, he's got such heavily muscled neck and shoulders that it's going to be difficult to knock him out. Um, I, I think it's got to be the wear and the the breaking down of him, and and the you know the the, the weaponizing of conditioning, which is you know Stipe's in a very good place for that because as you said, you know he's he's just come off three Daniel Cormier training camps, uh, and when your opponent's tagline is embrace the grind. You've got to be in shape, otherwise that person's going to grind you into the canvas. Um, so I think Stipe, and the interesting thing as well is watching how his weight's fluctuated over the last uh, few fights. So it's like for the Nganu fight, he came in around 246, I think it was, but then immediately that weight starts to drop down when he fought Cormier. Mm. So he's been around the 232 marks, you know, since then, which is quite, you know, quite light for a heavyweight, but. He knows that pace is the, the is the key to this fight. He knows that he's got to do, um, you know, the same thing over and over again consistently and safely. Um, so, so it, the challenge is really on 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 to negate that work rate and try and try and deter Stipe from imposing it on him. Do you think Francis has found himself sort of at an unfortunate time in the division? I almost feel like Stipe is his kryptonite. If he wasn't in this division, if this was back in the Brock Lesnar days, we'd see a guy like Francis Nagano really flourishing. But do you see sort of Stipe as being that one kryptonite in the division and a little bit of an unfortunate timing for a guy like Francis? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. Because I, I still think nganu has got a good chance of winning the fight. I mean, you know, he's coming in as the favourite. And I think that's that's because people are underestimating Stipe, not because people are overestimating Nganu, if that makes sense. I, I think he's got a damn good chance of landing a shot. And we all know what he can do with one punch. And, 
if you go back to watch the first couple of fights, especially the first round and a half before his before his lungs started to bleed internally, <laughs> um, like he he had he was landing he was landing uppercuts and he, he was adjusting the uppercuts to 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 try and catch Stipe on the way in. Like I mean, it's it's on the breakdown show, which is on YouTube, and I, and I associate I'm, I'm talking about it with the footage over it. But you you can see a couple of times as Stipe's level changing, the punch comes up and just misses him. And then the next time around, it, it, it's going in a different direction to adjust, but it just misses him again. But then Stipe did take a couple of good shots. He took a good right hook in the first round, and he took a good left uppercut. And so I think people are also underestimating Stipe's ability to take a punch. Um, but still, you know, one of those punches could put your lights out. And uh, and we, we can never forget that about Engano. And I do think he is better. At, he's, he's getting better at applying that. Um, but Stipe is so good at making people miss. It, it, it almost, it's almost valuable for him to kind of hang back and let Stipe come to him and work. And as far as him being unlucky because of Stipe being the champion, I, I mean, I, I think there, I think stylistically heavyweights, you can get a bit of a, a round robin going. And, and I think that, I think Blades would be a really interesting test for Stipe. But Ingarn is beating twice already. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like if Stipe wasn't in the division. That Nagano would almost you'd think would almost be champion if DC wasn't around either. You know, you could see him clearly yeah. beating most of the guys for a while, absolutely, and, and easily as well. You know, fairly comfortably. Mm. But, and, and I think Curtis Blades still looks at Ingano and thinks, "I can do what Stipe did to him the first time." So you know, I, I think Ingano brings something something really interesting and unique to the division. But for, for all the upside there is to power, there is a, a downside, and I think that can be preyed upon. Like just as an example, when when in the Rosenstrike fight, when DC when, when uh, um, uh, Engano came crashing forward and knocked him out, right afterwards DC said, "Ah, I would have taken him down at that point." And, and you and I, us mere mortals that aren't 250 pounds of, of raw muscle, <laughs> like like we we have a different perception when we watch these guys. Like we watch Engano flying at Rosenstrike and think to ourselves, "I don't know what I would do with that. Yeah. I don't know how I would slow that down. How I would stop it." How I wouldn't stop myself from getting completely separated from my 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 body. Um, <laughs> DC looks at that entirely differently. He sees a way in. Stipe looks at it and goes, "I can see a way in here." And, and it's the same for a lot of the heavyweights. That even even um, Overeem, who got completely decapitated, will still look at Engano and go, "On a different day, I could beat him." Mm. And that's a comprehension that we can only imagine because we're not we're, we're not of that that superhero species. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, with you mentioned Blades and obviously the, the takedown with Curtis Blades before he knocked him out. Blades did shoot him for a takedown and Francis stuffed it uh, really quickly. And even with Cain Velasquez, even though that was kind of a weird ending, he did stuff the takedown that Cain tried before, you know, finishing the fight. I'm just wondering how much better you think Francis is sort of equipped this time around to deal with Stipe's wrestling. Like you mentioned, those first couple of rounds, he was he was doing pretty well. And even towards the end, he was just, you know, muscling himself out of positions and making it, you know, pretty hard for Stipe. I wonder if a more patient Francis is able to stuff these shots better you know, assuming he doesn't fly in like he did against Rosenstrike, which surely he won't. Well, I mean, the the, the flying in, you know, gives give Stipe all the momentum to redirect and, uh, and put him on the canvas. So I, I think, like I said, the patience and then the, those uppercuts again that also turn to underhooks when someone's mm. shooting him for a takedown. 
um, they're, they're going to be very beneficial to him. And, you know, you go back and watch the first Blades fight, which was, you know, it was 10 minutes before Blades was pulled out by the doctor. And he stuffed a bunch, he stuffed a couple of takedowns in that fight, a couple of them quite easily, you know, in, lifted him off, spun him away, um, a couple with a bit more of a fight, but still defended them. But then there were, you know, a couple of times he ended up on the floor and he still showed good methods in getting up. Like he's very good with underhooks and underhooks in any position, whether it's, you know, whether the person's shooting in from a distance and you can forklift them up back to standing or whether, um, you know, they've got you pinned against the fence and they've level changed, you underhook and pull them up or whether you're inside control bottom, you know, you're still looking for the same thing. You find an underhook and immediately the person on the top has a weakened control position. And and again, you know, the strength that Ngannou's got, he could rely on a lot of that strength all the time, but in actuality, he doesn't. He's actually got really quite good movement. Um, you know, you watch the Anthony Hamilton, the first takedown there, or um, uh, the couple of times he was taken down by Curtis Blades, working towards an underhook and actually moving himself out of the way instead of strongmanning it and lifting him with, with power. Um, I, I do think he has a good awareness of how to get out of bad positions. I, I, I just think his ability to do it over and over again is finite, and that's where Stipe preys on him. Mm, I feel like Stipe's best attributes are just him being agile and aerodynamic. And if you're looking to add a little more aerodynamicness into your life, uh, what better way to do it than with Manscaped's Lawn Mower 3.0, the best grooming tool on the market. You can shave your balls, keep those guys smooth. Uh, you can shave anything on your body with the skin safe technology, which will not cut you. The 7,000 RPM motor, which is, uh, I think, at least six times as powerful as Francis Sagano himself. Uh, the LED lights, you can do it if you're in a cave uh, or the waterproof feature which is um you could use it in the shower or if you're under some kind of waterfall like leo in the beach either way you'll have the smoothest balls in town and why not why not treat yourself with uh, the code submission which gives you 20 percent off uh, not only the Lawnmower 3.0, but all of Manscaped's fantastic products like wipes and ball colognes and all sorts of deodorants, basically anything to keep you looking nice and smelling nice in your downstairs region and all over your body. And by the way, the show is presented by Manscaped, it is Submission Radio, presented by Manscaped, and they do sponsor the UFC, so lots of love for those guys. Uh, and they have lots of love for your balls. Isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, Cass. While we're talking about uh, companies that we love, I've got to mention The Ridge. I've got this weatherproof duffel bag right here. Have a look at this bad boy. And I just want to quickly mention, this thing comes with a shoe tight and mesh laundry bag included. How about an internal power bank pocket, external charging port? It's waterproof. The whole shebang. This thing's going to last. Check out Casper's wallet right there. The Ridge is giving you guys an offer that you can't miss. Get 10% off today and free worldwide shipping by going to theridge.com forward slash submission. Use code word submission and get that Ridge in your life. That's ridge.com forward slash submission with the code word submission. I would love to hear your thoughts, Dan. If you're in Nugano's corner and you're putting together this game plan for the rematch, <clears throat> what do you think is the most effective strategy in him beating Stipe this weekend? Um, I think patience. I think he's got to expect to be, you know, to be defending takedowns. And I think the more, you know, the more enthusiastic he is with his forward momentum, the more chance he's got of giving Stipe that little snatch single that he uses so well. I mean, he just wrecked Mark Hunt with that, you know, took him down over and over again. And then once you're on the floor, you're just carrying that weight, which, which you know, is, is going to be, it's going to be nightmares for him. It'll take him straight back to their first fight. So, I mean, be, be impatient. Be a counter striker. 
you know, like hang back and wait and, and, and allow Stipe to come to him, which, you know, it might be a bit, a bit, a bit of a standoff. It might be quite a slow paced start to a fight um, because that would be the safest thing for Nganu to do. Be reactive, but be reactive with, you know, with, with great force. The, the worst thing for him to do would be to start swinging at Stipe and missing because the, 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 the slowing down, like hitting the brakes and slowing down that power is, is, a, is a, a massive impact on his cardiovascular system. You, you, you've got to think, you know, a, a car traveling downhill with a back full of cement is going to take so much more to, to slow down. And he generates so much momentum going forward that like to, to stop that, that force, is, you know, it, it's almost easier just to land on their guard. Hmm. And, and, you know, the, 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 the Blades fight, the second one, the overhand that he threw that was coming over the jab actually hit Blades on the side of the arm and then kind of a, then kind of slid along to the side of his head, maybe hit with thirty or forty percent of the power of the actual punch itself, and still took his legs out. I think the big the big priority for, for Ngannou is if he's going to throw, just don't miss. Doesn't matter what you're hitting, just just don't swing and miss. That's right. First first man to win a fight by knockout via a shot to the shoulder, uh, Francis Ngannou. <laughs> I wanted to ask you also something that, that kind of came up and is, I guess, an interesting part of the story here, and that's Ngannou's corner and trainee situation. Uh, he obviously split with his longtime coach, Fernand Lopez, after Fernand confronted him about you know having an ego problem and apparently refusing to do certain drills in, in training and preparation for the first Stipe fight. And now Ngannou has been working with Dewey Cooper in Vegas, uh, and he's also brought in the champ Kamaru Usman into his camp. I think that happened around the Junior Dos Santos fight, likely to sort of gain his expertise on wrestling. Um, I'm curious what you make of, of the whole thing with Fernand Lopez um, and his claims that, you know, Francis had a bit of an ego. Um, it, it was just an interesting fallout and it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, which which side of the story is, is kind of true. What was your take as a fighter, Dan? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've been to, I've been to MMA Factory. I, I called in there and and you know watched a couple of days of training. Um, and you know, it's a small gym, and Fernand runs a tight ship, and he knows how he likes to do things, and and he's proven it to be successful. Um, you know, I think I think everyone's been the with uh, Cyril Gan in his in his fight so far, uh, and you know there are quite a few heavyweights that pass through that gym. It is a heavyweight gym, and you know, one person having a lot of success. You know, I would imagine there is a lot of tension there, especially when you've got someone like Cyril Gann, you know, you know, chasing at your heels that's coming out of the same gym. There was already talk about them two fighting one another after he'd won two fights in the UFC. Um, so that's obviously going to, you know, it's going to add tension to the whole situation. But then at the same time, you know, I mean, you know, people do find their way in and out of gyms. And, and if a coach wants to do thing, something a particular way and the fighter doesn't, the best thing for them to do is to is to separate and part ways. I mean, it's not that they wouldn't find their way back to one another. I think I think Fernand was a very good coach for for Ingarno in a lot of ways, but that doesn't mean to say that there aren't other great coaches out there that that won't make him good as well. Um, and you know, in, in Vegas there are a lot of heavyweights that are floating around, so that there are there is good sparring there for him, and he's right near the PI, and you know he, he loves himself a day at the PI. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I think people just kind of move from time to time. And as long as there's no no negativity there, I think it might actually set us up for an interesting heavyweight clash, you know, main event in Paris at some point in the future where former teammates face one another. And then Usman being in his corner would be even more valuable there as well. Mm. Um, 
I think I think Usman's a really, really good balance to what Ngannou brings to the table because, you know, Usman Usman dropped um, Gilbert Burns with a jab. Uh, if he can teach Ngannou how to how to use that jab, he'll knock people out with that jab consistently. Like th- this idea that he needs to be what's the analogy? The Ford Escort analogy. Yeah. The Ford Escort at nine yeah, traveling at full, full speed, blah blah blah. 113 miles an hour. You don't need to hit somebody 113 miles an hour with a Ford Escort to knock them out. Like Ngannou could knock people out with jabs consistently. So if 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 Usman can impart that information into him, that knowledge into him, and also teach him how to be a competitor as well, because that's what Usman's very good at. And you know that's maybe I, th- I think you know what with my previous breakdown. I was a little bit critical of him because I'm a different kind of competitor to him. Like I, I'm I'm like I'm there to to chase the chase the win and take silly risks and you know it doesn't always work out for me whereas Usman's measured and he's calm and he's stoic and it works so well for him and if he can give like maybe 10% of that to Ngannou and and give him that pause for thought once he's landed a clean jab and he's already seen his opponents hurt I mean I think that's going to make him incredibly dangerous it's not it's not whether he can knock somebody out it's whether he can manage the power is the question. Uh, and, and I think Usman's a fantastic addition to his camp. Yeah, Kamar Usman bringing the championship mentality to the camp. And who doesn't love a day out at the PI, Dan? Cheap steak, Chuck Liddell boardroom, fancy spas. Feels like Disneyland for adults. Now, quickly, with John Jones, obviously he's in the wings right now waiting to make his heavyweight debut. Who do you think, um, how do you think he fares against the winner of this fight? And who do you think would be the toughest stylistic fight for Jones? Mm. You know, I, I think I think they both offer him interesting challenges. Um, I, I think I think John Jones would be much it'd be much more comfortable fighting Stipe because it would be a much more technical battle, and that's where John Jones is very good. You know, you know, in the light heavyweight division, there are physical attributes, reach, height advantage, um, all things that played into John Jones's favour. But on top of that, he was an excellent he is an excellent technician as well. So I think. A, a, a fight with um, a fight with with Stipe would be it would feel more comfortable for him for sure. He would feel like he could probably control that fight much better than something as as intangible as as Ingarnu and when he's going to decide to to charge at you. I mean that that that's the big question for that fight really, and that's part of the reason I think why people are so interested in seeing it is John Jones has always fought people that he's been technically better than, and that he's also had a bunch of physical attributes that that are better than theirs. Ngannou presents something that John Jones doesn't have, which is that scary 0-60 speed and power. And and we, we all see that power as something that can negate everything else that comes to the table. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's 20, 21st century UFC, but it's Hoist Gracie against Kimo Leopoldo. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it's whether the smaller, uh, weaker guy... Can deal with this this unmanageable force, and obviously the technical levels are so much higher. But that's ultimately what we're watching there. We're watching, you know, we're watching whether the, the 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 technical individual can can use that technical ability to negate that scary, you know, atomic bomb that that could potentially catch him. Um, I think they're both interesting fights. I'll have more fun personally breaking down the Stipe one. That's for sure. Because there, there are lots of different attributes that on each side that are interesting, as well as different technical abilities that I think come together quite nicely. 
Whereas the, when when Ngannou's fighting, the question is always of what you know is he going to land that big punch and how does he land it? Um, and I think that that would be quite difficult against against John Jones. Hundred mm, percent. By the way, I really look forward to you know either breakdown from you, whichever one we get. Um, oh, but yeah. just quickly, as we let you go, Dan, who are you leaning towards in in Stipe? Uh, versus Ngannou. And by the way, I know you've been doing like six hours of recording prior to this, and then we made you restart your computer to try to get the video right properly, so that was at least another hour. So we'll let you go after this. But who, it's an Iron Man match. Yeah, who, who are you leaning towards, Dan? Um, I, I'm leaning towards Stipe because, because I think, you know, as a martial artist and, a, and as someone that's never been particularly athletic by comparison to some of my colleagues, you know, I would pulverized by Paul Daly for several years, you've got to bear in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I always had to make sure my technique was right in order to knock somebody out. And so I always kind of back, well, A, back the underdog, because I usually was, and B, back the technician. And, I, and I, you know, I've, we've seen Stipe win the fight. I, I think he's better now than he was. I think his condition is going to be better. I think he learned a lot from the DC fights. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards Stipe, but it's, I mean, it's it's five percent either side of the line. Um, it's it's a tight one. It really, it really is. And there's always that intangible, you know, the disastrous one punch that uh, that could take the belt away from his waist. But as of right now, what is it? Tuesday, Tuesday evening in England. I, I think Stepe might do it again. Well, the other thing Dan would be leaning towards is sleep. It's almost midnight over there, so we appreciate your time. Before you go and get some much-needed rest after the marathon session, guys, make sure to follow the man on Twitter and Instagram at Dan Hardy MMA. Of course, YouTube, Full Reptile is the place to go, the war room, one of the best shows out there. His book, Full Reptile, which is available here in Australia, a fantastic read. And, of course, his new show on BT Sport, The Dan Hardy Breakdown Show. Episode 1 is out now. He looks at UFC 260. Make sure to check it out on YouTube. Dan, thank you so much, man. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks for uh, including us in the marathon session. Incredible, incredible accuracy for a 12-hour session. As always, you impress us, my friend. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Always good to talk to you, and I will see you again next time.